and we should be live. Hey and welcome everyone. Happy Wednesday. Happy January 17th. Happy post Bitcoin ETF day or actually week. We've had a very, very exciting week. It was a historic week. And what we want to discuss today is we want to recap what happened over the past week since we did the last live here. Um, what were the things that were expected? What were the things that were unexpected? And then obviously, what do we see from here kind of going forward? And maybe we have some other fun things to discuss. Uh, yeah. Fabio, welcome. Happy Wednesday. How are you doing, sir? Give us a bit of a rundown. What's going on in the community? And then uh, we're going to dive in a bit of some factual feedback on the last week. And then let's dive a bit into the juicy stuff. Yeah. Hey, everybody. So I, I think that the, to the short summary is we went from God candle to 30,000 is next uh, within a week. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a bit of a buy the news, sell the, uh, buy the, buy the rumor, sell the news event a little bit. Not that we, we, we saw a huge sell off or so, um, but I guess. I was certainly I was certainly more bullish than um, what than what we've gotten, but it was definitely that a lot was priced in, and uh, you brought some data actually on on funds flow that we can look at, um, uh, reflect a little bit on how the ETF launch uh, was perceived, how uh, what's the numbers and data uh, behind it, was it a success, was it not, and um, then of course. Uh, the much more important topic besides the reflections is what, what what's next. Um, that's uh, always very important here uh, in, in crypto. We we, we live uh, and and feed on narrative and on stories. Um, yeah, but maybe you can. Uh, so on on YouTube, Julian just presented a chart uh, Bitcoin year to date price. Maybe you can uh, give us a little bit of um, um, insights for everybody that's listening. What what's currently on the screen? Yeah, sure. And if you're only listening in, then I mean, uh, I think it's it's very easy to kind of paint a picture here. Uh, exactly a week ago, we had speculated that we may see the approval of the Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, as a quick reminder, this was exactly the day after there was this fake tweet by the SEC account on, on X. And uh, it turned out that that was fake, but it also turned out that um, this was actually a hack so or a compromised account, let's call it this way, and not a um, false news from the SEC. Well, then on Wednesday, actually, the SEC came out. They didn't go out on X. They went out on their blog and announced that these ETFs are all approved. I think 11 ETFs went live at the same time. I would say everything there went as expected. I don't know, Fabio, if you see anything different there. Let's go into those things that we see as expected. And then let's see what we did not get, uh, what did not happen as expected. What, to me at least, also what was very expected was that they went really fast on the trading start, which actually happened the day afterwards. So this was on January 11th, uh, the Thursday. So just the next day, trading start happened. And both, I, I think, on a from an exchange side, on everything that I think happened on the back end, uh, all these ETFs being able to buy, sell, or do whatever, getting access to Bitcoins, it seems Coinbase is doing a good job there. So from a technical perspective, everything seemed to be very, very smooth. Um, yeah, and then the price action to me was... Partly expected, partly unexpected, but I want to kind of cross that when we get a bit there. Um, until this point, Fabio, so Thursday trading starts. If anything that was unexpected to you from from un until that point, uh, except for price action that we can discuss next? No, I think it was just in line with expectations. We both, both of us or almost everybody actually expected 
to the Wednesday to be the date uh, that it gets approved. First day that trading starts. I guess uh, shout out to the two Bloomberg uh, analysts that uh, kind of covered this to great extent. And almost everybody also agreed that it would be 11 applications or uh, let's say a lot of applications that get uh, approved at the same time. And um, yeah, besides that, it, it was okay. So for me personally, and I guess for a lot of people on crypto Twitter, nobody believed it. Like when they, they actually approved it and they put it on the website. But of course, everybody went uh, and clicked on the website. So the website was instantly was down. So some people posted a screenshot of what they seen earlier, but others couldn't really see that it was there. So we had so many fail look coin telegraph sec itself that got compromised and, and so many let's say fake news out there that this thing is approved that the moment it actually approved i guess nobody really believed it uh, or but many people had doubts uh, but everything besides that and besides the price action up until that point uh yeah met expectations true, true. Um, then the price action, I mean, you can see this on the chart. If you don't have it, if you don't see the picture, you just listen in. I, I think you can just look at the chart afterwards. We've seen this pump then right after, uh, right up to close to 49,000. So I think the, the top, depending on what exchange you look at, 48,000 something, 48,800 or something. And everyone was like, oh, now the God candle comes and this is it. Now we're all going to get rich. We're going to see a new all-time high. The exact opposite happened. We dropped within a very, very brief time frame by close to 20%. And we actually get, got close to 40,000. So we almost went into the 30s again. We really dropped down. And then we kind of bounced a little bit. And we've been hovering between 42 and 43,000 all uh, the time over that uh, since, since then. So this all happened on Friday last week. Then over the weekend, we had a long weekend. Uh, because of Martin Luther King Day on Monday. And so Tuesday was, again, yesterday, the trading started, but not much price action, so relatively calm. And so before we look a bit into the fund flow, was this surprising to you, Fabio? A, a little bit. So, of course, because we saw, uh, we had two instances where we had Cointelegraph tweeting that this thing is going to be approved. And I think we, we, we almost saw a God candle. I would say a God candle is at least above 10%. And I think the Cointelegraph moved us 8.5%. Then the day before the actual approval, we had the SEC as an account that got compromised. And we, we saw a pump, I don't know, I think 5% or so. And I'm, you know, if two fake news things can move the needle and the price like that, uh, how is it possible that the actual approval doesn't move the needle at all? That uh, So I at least expected, I, I, I think a week before the approvals, when we sat here together in the Twitter space, my expectation was that the moment this thing is actually approved, we see a lot of bots or a lot of traders jump on it and uh, we actually see a price move of maybe 10% or so. Uh, just some short-term volatility with a sell-off afterwards. Um, but we didn't get that. And that price action or that thing was, was for me, the, 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 the least. I did not expect that. Also, I could have foreseen the price instantly selling off 10%. Like, it, it's approved, sell-off. But that also didn't happen. We just, nothing happened. Like, the moment they actually approved it, we just traded sideways. And everybody on Twitter was like, okay, is this it? Um but of course, when we go and talk a little bit more about the fund flow and if this yep. ETF is actually a success and, and how these things usually work, um, I, I think we, we, we will find our answer uh, there. But yep. you could say two things maybe in, in, in retrospect. 
uh, it was priced in and it was a bit of buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, yeah. A hundred percent. I think on the one hand, what surprised me a little bit, I would have, I had expected the pump to be a bit stronger initially. I think we did discuss that this may actually be a buy the rumor, sell the news. It definitely became one so far. I, it, if I sit here and I would tell my past self, hey, um, we're going to drop by 18%, I don't think this would have surprised me so much. What did surprise me, and that's what I pull up here, is how strong the other coins actually performed at the same time. So what's very clear here is that this is some selling out of Bitcoin into those other coins, mainly into Ethereum. So Ethereum really benefited from this, and we're going to look into what could this mean going forward. But it, that is the thing that I, that really surprised me. I had expected if Bitcoin sells off, and it is uh, by the rumor, sell the news, that the alts sell off even harder, simply because we have seen this with all the fake news prior, right? So I even posted this Twitter meme where there's this table and then this wall suddenly flips over and then Bitcoin sneezes and then the altcoins like completely freak out and USDC keeps sitting at the table and is like, what the heck is going on, right? So kind of this meme on USDC doesn't do anything, Bitcoin sneezes a little bit, the altcoins totally freak out. And I was expecting, hey, if we see the basically Bitcoin sneezing again, my goodness, the altcoins really gonna completely get devastated, but the exact opposite happened. So what got hammered was Bitcoin dominance got hammered. Uh, Ethereum has been really benefiting from this. And I think Bitcoin has been underwhelming in all this. Um, before we go into the fund flow here, was that surprising to you as well, Fabio? Because that is something I would have never guessed. So I think the, the buy the rumor, sell the news, that was something that I would have always said, hey, you know, like, yeah, this could easily be, I, I can totally see this. A lot of it is priced in already. But I would have never guessed that at the same time, altcoins would have done so well. Uh, at least that is the, the unexpected kind of thing here for me. Yeah, same. My expectations were totally different. But um, like, of course, in retrospect, you're always a bit smarter. And what I saw <laughs> on, on, on Twitter, I, I guess in November and, and October already, is that narrative that we mentioned last week as well, that the next thing is the next narrative, the next story is an Ethereum ETF. And there are just a lot of traders that kind of, okay, now this thing is approved. It is by the rumor, sell the news. So let me sell my Bitcoin position and let me uh, uh, go into ETH. And I guess we, we saw many traders, maybe even institutions, we, we don't really know who, uh, taking that trade, uh, you know, waiting exactly for the, for the day of the approval, selling off a little bit of their Bitcoin position and putting it in ETH because they think, okay, maybe an ETH, um, ETF is next. Um, and um, I would net not have expected that I think Eve pumped 10% on, on the day of the Bitcoin approval and Bitcoin just went sideways. Um, yeah, that the, the spread is over 20% actually. So since the uh, ETF approval, uh, Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum moved apart 20%. So uh, Ethereum really gaining uh, 20% to, uh, to Bitcoin. And But I want to be very clear. For those of us who have been in Ethereum, right, and I've I've always said that I'm a big Ethereum holder, big Ethereum fan, I love the staking yield and so on. Over the past year, right, 12 months, I was on the wrong side versus Bitcoin. I want to be very clear on this, right? So for all of you who have been mainly in Bitcoin and let's say not in Ethereum, sure, you have been wrong over the last week, but you've been right the other 51 weeks so far. So, but it's very interesting how that tide kind of shifted here. Um. Let's, let's talk a bit about why this is, right? And I actually think it's uh, three reasons. It's not only one. I think it's three reasons. Uh, the first reason, that's probably the biggest one, is uh, Grayscale. 
Now, for those that don't know this, we have discussed this so often in the show here that if only a grayscale ETF had gotten approved, this would have actually slaughtered Bitcoin left and right. I want to be very clear on this. And the reason for this is that all the people who invested in the grayscale trust could not really get out unless they accepted that discount. And the discount got completely obliterated with the ETF and it's close to zero now. So now it's just a, a kind of marginal discount, sometimes a premium, sometimes a discount just based on the arbitrage that's happening. And with that, people are like, man, I made so much money on this. Let me exit. On top of that, Grayscale is by far the most expensive ETF. They charge 1.5% per year. And so all people who can exit or want to exit, and obviously there's a tax consideration here, they're going to try to exit because they either made a lot of money or they want to get into another ETF. And you can see this here. You have seen massive, massive outflows, and they've only been increasing. It's going to be very interesting today what's going to happen on day four. So on day one, there was about 95 million outflow. Day two, which is Friday, was 478 million, so about half a billion. And then day three, which is Tuesday, it was another 590 million. Uh, million. Rumors is, and this is, again, based on calculations, based on where people bought these things, people are expecting around $5 billion in outflows out of Grayscale in a relatively short time. So right now we're at 1.1 billion, 1.2 billion. So we have a large amount already behind us. And also I want to be clear, normally the later parts take a bit longer. Um, it's just like some people just want to rush out of the door relatively quickly and then they take a little bit. So we've definitely seen massive selling on the Grayscale side. All the other ETFs have had a net inflow. Now, not all these 1.1 billion, 1.2 billion from Grayscale are selling into dollars. Some just want out and want a better deal, so they move into the other ETFs. That's also important, also important going forward from here because people are going to be wondering, are we going to see more sell pressure? Definitely we're going to see sell pressure, but also we are going to see this buy pressure here where these ETFs are constantly collecting more and more assets. So... That is really, really an important one. The second key thing that I just want to add here, a lot of people are always thinking that any Bitcoin that comes in here was bought with cash. And that is not true. There is a small group around these ETFs who can convert Bitcoin into ETF shares. And this mostly happens OTC. So there's no real impact on the price. And I do actually expect a lot of this happening right now for very simple reasons, because some of these asset managers are going to sit there and say, I'm not going to hold these assets myself. I actually use Coinbase already. And the price that I can negotiate with Coinbase is a worse price than you as an ETF have negotiated with Coinbase, right? So I may pay half a percent per year with Coinbase because simply my assets are not as big, right? But you as an ETF, you have actually basically the same setup as I have, but you only pay 0.3%. And so I'm going to actually get take my assets and not do it basically one-on-one. -on -one. I just move them into an ETF. And that way I pay actually less. So a lot of this fund flow here is not necessarily fresh buying. I also want to be very clear on this, right? And then there are other ETFs out there already. And this should also not come as a surprise. Um, there's, for example, in the US, we have the futures ETF, uh, BITO. And there's ETFs in other countries, Germany, Europe, and so on. And all of these ETFs, so BITO and the European ETFs, they're all losing assets like crazy. And the reason it all comes down to one thing and one thing only, and that is fees. So the, the fees on these ETFs 
are absolutely ludicrously low. I know that people think, oh my goodness, who pays, I don't know, 30 basis points or 0.3% to hold Bitcoins. I just want to be clear. These are some of the safest setups that you as a retail, even as a retail customer, right? Even you as a company can have. And I also want to be very clear. If you are holding your Bitcoins on, let's say, Coinbase or on Kraken or on the U.S. exchanges, I would really kind of urge you to consider in actually moving your funds into this ETF because you're clearly only interested in the price appreciation of Bitcoin, which is absolutely fine. I don't want to criticize you for that, right? I think there's two kind of reasons on why people buy Bitcoin. First reason, price appreciation. That's it. Just price, right? You don't care about anything else. You want to buy Bitcoin at 42 and you want this thing to go up to a half a million. Nothing wrong with that. I completely get this. If this is all you're doing, I would probably say the safest way to do this right now is via a regular broker and via one of those ETFs. If, however, you buy Bitcoin because you want to escape the system and you want to control your own keys and you want to deal with all this where you own your funds and you own your assets, obviously you cannot have your assets, you cannot have your Bitcoins on an exchange, makes zero sense, right? You need to control your private key. Obviously, this is not for you. And I, and, and I know you're going to sit there and say, but on Coinbase, I don't pay anything right now. And on an ETF, I pay 0.3%. I get it. I still think the risk of that and the cost of that is probably quite attractive with an ETF, right? I just want to be very clear. So these are my thoughts on all that. Fabio, please jump in. Let me know your thoughts. Actually, the, the last example that you made. So if you, okay, sorry if I offend anybody here, but if you are a classical boomer and your son or your daughter, you, uh, they told you, hey, make a Coinbase account and buy some Bitcoin. What these people actually do is they buy blindly, spot, no market orders, no Coinbase Pro, they just buy. And the fee for buying Bitcoin on Coinbase is three and a half percent. So if you would buy an ETF, is you could hold the Bitcoin in this ETF for 10 years and you would still make a better deal than just buying blindly on Coinbase. Of course, uh, for all the professionals there that buy on Kraken and pay 0.18% and actually or 0.16, I think is it, uh, for a market order and withdraw to, co to cold storage and all of these things, sure. Um, you're doing much better uh, if you hold it for one year, if you buy it uh, on, on a good exchange, especially if you know what you're doing and if you're placing an order and not just, you know, blindly press the button. But for many, many people, and I would I would say the majority of people that actually buy Bitcoin um, or, you know, um, um, are familiar with a brokerage, uh, they probably are going to make a better deal and it's easier for them, let's say, a peace of mind. Because, look, if... The, I know many boomers like, you know, my mother and her friends and, and, and so on. These people, they love to just to have one account. They have here in Europe, they have the, the, the Giro or they have uh, interactive brokers or Swiss quote, whatever they have their one account. And for them, it's already a pretty big thing to kind of trade their own stocks and to hold them in that account. And for them, it's super intimidating to go, go onto Coinbase because just my son or my daughter told me, hey, Coinbase. Um, but they will. Uh, there is thousands upon thousands upon positive reviews and advertisements made for I don't know interactive brokers, and they feel very comfortable being in that account. And if the ticker shows up there for them, it's probably the better move to 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 buy it there than to sign up to a shady exchange and get rock pulled. Um, it's uh, yeah. There's always that 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 risk. 
So I, I, I would agree on, on almost everything you said, especially on the data and the in and outflows. But just to put maybe um, if you ask yourself the question, was this a successful launch or was it not? Um, I think there were about between 400 and 500 ETFs that launched in a year 2023, last year, 400 to 500 ETFs. All of them combined had a funds inflow of about a half a billion, all new uh, uh, ETFs that got launched in 2023, they made about a half a billion in fund inflows. Uh, in just three days, uh, all of the 11 spot ETFs made 10 billion. That's a 20 fold uh, uh, of what all of the other ETFs did in 2023. So it was a huge success. You, you can clearly see there is buzzing around this asset, there is interest, there is trading, there is volume, there is you know, every everywhere. If you, I read uh, three different kind of newspapers. I read the Swiss newspaper, I read the Dutch newspaper, and uh, of course the international ones like you know uh, New York Times, Bloomberg, whatever. And in all of them, Bitcoin. Maybe not even on the first page, but if the newspaper has a finance section, you can bet it was there. And now maybe uh, I, I would be very much interested, uh, Julian, in how do you see all of this moving forward? Like we had a great start. We had this 10 billion that, that came into these ETFs. How is all of this going to be, uh, you know, be perceived or uh, looked at maybe a year or two or three years from now? Yeah, so I think we said this. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if we shared it here, but I've said this several times that I am a bit more cautious on the impact of those ETFs over the first over the over the first three months, and I'm way more optimistic and bullish over the first three years. And here's the reason: I know for a fact that a lot of the sales kind of cycle for these ETFs takes a little bit to jump on, and it's going to take a little bit for the target audience of those ETFs. So I'm not talking about the target audience that has probably added funds right now. I think a lot of people who have added funds right now are not the real target audience. They're crypto believers, they're Bitcoin believers, and they just want to support this, right? So I, I think this is not the target audience. The target audience are those who have always been interested but felt doing it themselves was not the right thing. Or now they feel that Bitcoin is more justified. It's better. It's it's more serious. It, it has this edification of, of, of the SEC. And this sales cycle is not going to happen within days or weeks. The sales cycle is going to take months and years. And that is what actually, I think in the long term, one question I always ask, right? And to me, this is such a key question. Give me the metric you look at with an investment that shows the value where this thing goes. And so far, whenever I ask this question of Bitcoin, I've always gotten some really weird answers, right? Answers that either didn't make sense to me or it was actually a price metric and just hidden as something else. All these numbers with Bitcoin was just always tricky. Actually, going forward, I'm going to look at one metric and one metric only, and that is AUM of those ETFs. So there's going to be some very interesting buying opportunities for me. And I'm someone who loves to buy when price and value moves apart. So if, let's say, this AUM keeps going up, but price goes down... I actually am going to see this as a buying opportunity and I'm going to actually see it as a selling opportunity if this AUM is going to trend down and the price is going to go up. And the reason why I believe this is because going forward, I just see, especially for Bitcoin, it's going to be different for the altcoins. But I think for Bitcoin, majority of buying is probably going to happen from the ETF more and more and more. It's going to take a little while. I think it's going to take a year or two, but it's going to go way heavier in this direction. 
And I think that the traditional spot buying is going to get less and less and less relevant because the majority of the assets are still outside of crypto. They're not in crypto. Crypto is tiny in comparison to the, to the outside assets. And the majority of the people don't really care about self-custody. They should, but they don't. The majority of people just care about numbers going up. And so they're just going to buy Bitcoin based on numbers going up. So to me, what's going to be a key metric going forward is what does the AUM of those ETFs look like? Now, when is this going to get relevant to me? I don't think it's going to get relevant after the, like until the first couple of weeks, because right now, again, it's going to be a lot of reshuffling. It's going to be a lot of assets from GPTC moving in, BITO moving out, coming in, some of the assets coming out. Like I said, people who have always been self-custodying saying, hey, you know what? F that. I'm not going to. Uh, self-custody anymore. I read a paid a 0.25 or 0.3%. So I, I think it's going to take a little while, but let's say in after the first, let's say after Q1, the number one metric I'm going to look at is the AUM of the Bitcoin ETFs as a whole. And as long as this number keeps trending up, I think value is going up because at the end, that's what matters. And it's going to be to me a key, key, key metric. Is it going to be perfect? It's definitely not going to be perfect. There's going to be other metrics as well, obviously. How are the fees? How full are the blocks? And so on. But if I look at value for Bitcoin, that's going to be the key thing that I'm going to be looking at. And so what do I expect? I think people who thought the ETF is going to change everything in the first three months, I think they're going to get disappointed. And I think those people who don't have a time horizon to look at this over the next three years are going to be positively surprised. That's my kind of state, uh, kind of take. Fabio, your takes on this? Yeah, so it's definitely a long-term thing. Um, and what's ex what is exciting for me the most is um, and there are certain several things that need to happen until we get there. But um, I'm waiting for passive flows. So I make two examples. Um, I, I, my family here in the Netherlands and a lot of friends, we, we knew, we, we use a new app. It's a web two app that is called peaks, uh, not affiliated with them, not advertising for them, but I, I personally use that. And you basically go into the app, you select a risk profile. You say, I'm uh, super conservative. I'm adventurous. I'm, you know, somewhere in the mid and they make a portfolio for you. And it takes $1 a day, $10 a day, however you set it and your spare change and it auto automatically moves it into the uh, into um, a portfolio that is very diverse, has some gold, has some stocks, has some this, has some that, and it does everything for you. And it shows you some nice graphs and how you profit and what's your money going to be like in 30 years and, and things like that. And it, this these apps, they, they, make, they make it big, let's say, at least here in the Netherlands. And... Um, I'm waiting for funds that are on the adventurous side that promise a lot of returns to just incorporate one or two or three or four percent Bitcoin into them. And the same goes, for example, my mother is a customer with one of the oldest Swiss banks, the ZKB, the Zürich in Switzerland. And they have very similar products as well, where you basically say, look, I'm this and this age. I want to do this and this. And you pay, I don't know, 0.5 percent management fee and they handle everything for you. And uh, as soon as you get uh, bigger players like UBS or Swiss banks or uh, bigger asset managers that say, hey, on the on the risk side, maybe it's not just 60, 40. Maybe we can incorporate one or two percent Bitcoin and get our Sharpie ratio up or we get a, a little bit more returns. And in the end, if the number goes up, technology for Bitcoin actually works and it keeps working. All of these products will be benchmarked against each other. 
And if you suddenly have a product that keeps outperforming because it has one or two percent Bitcoin in them, it kind of forces the hand of all the other players to add a little bit of Bitcoin allocation to that as well. Um, so the number go up really kind of if it works, uh, if it keeps working, um, it, it, it will automatically like a black hole suck in a lot of capital just because you know, the number goes up and all of these funds, they are benchmarked and measured against each other. Uh, who has the better performance? And in the end, you can basically have a scroll down menu with a filter set to what actually performs the best. The same goes if you if you use the neo brokers like, I don't know, eToro, for example, you can scroll through all of their funds and all of their uh, tickers that they have. And you can just look what actually performed the best over the last five years. And if you see that uh, uh, these these products that they're working, of course, more capital will flow into them. Um, so yeah, for me, it's uh, it was not a disappointment. Uh, it was a bit of uh, anti-climax the day of the approval and the day afterwards. But um, that I think a is a good one. It's that emotional anti-climax that I think was a bit disappointed. Huh? Disappointing. One hundred percent. Kind of. I don't know. It was one year or eight months of oh, it's Bitcoin ETF and talking about it, and and then you actually get it, and it's like, hmm. Uh, there, there is this one meme where 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 a guy sits in front of his computer and he he's he, he's he's looking like this uh, with a finger under his nose, and then the ETF uh, is approved, and he has like this this uh, uh, tada um, emoji and. Then life just go, goes on and it felt a little bit like that um but but uh luckily we are in crypto and there are other things uh down the road maybe we want to uh, or is there still something we need to address uh, regarding the etf or uh, do you want to move forward into um, what's next no i think what people should be looking at and how people what decisions they should be making i think is just have a bit more patience on that. If you're dollar cost averaging right now, I think it's a really good time. I haven't sold. I am dollar cost averaging. I think the long-term horizon here is really important. From everything I've seen right now, I would be surprised if we're seeing a massive sell-off based on the ETF. Obviously, if there's some economics thing, that's a different story. But I don't foresee right now that because of the ETF flows, we're going to see massive sell-offs. So to me, what I would be focusing on is, again, on the AUM. How is that moving? That's going to be the interesting number. And just dollar cost average. And then, yeah, from here, obviously, the big question is, is the same going to happen to Ethereum? That's a huge, huge question. We have an approval deadline by the SEC for, on May 23rd, so about four months from here. And maybe that is the reason on why we have seen such an uptick in Ethereum. Give us a bit of some thoughts on that. Uh, Fabio, on, on, on that color okay. or, or what else to add here? So uh, uh, maybe two or three things to add. So I think Gary Gensler, if, if it was just up to him, no public pressure, no uh, grayscale lawsuit, he would not have been approving the Bitcoin ETF. And just for... Did he even say this in an interview? People. I think he even said this in an interview, right? He hinted at it, but mm. what it's important for, to, for us to understand, there are five people. Um, I, I only know two names, Hester Pierce and, uh, and Gary Gensler. Hester Pierce, by the way, had a fantastic statement uh, after the approval. Uh, but um, there were two on two. So And Gary was the deciding vote. And he voted in favor of the Bitcoin ETF. But of course, uh, there was so much public pressure, uh, so many people with influence, so much capital, um, and... Uh, 
a lawsuit that they lost against Grayscale. And um, for me, the, he, he, he made two things or two, we have two kind of sources of information when it comes to the Ethereum ETF. One is a written statement that Gary Gensler wrote on the day that the Bitcoin ETF got approved where he said he's not endorsing this and he's uh, uh, very hesitant and people should be cautious. And uh, he also said that this is a one-time thing for a, for a commodity-based um, uh, cryptocurrency All the or most of the other, majority of the other things are securities. And uh, this will not be a, a green light that more ETFs are going to be following. So this is the, the written statement and I'm, you know, I, I basically butchered his words and, and, and kind of dumbed them down a lot. Um, and then the other one was a CNBC interview where he, the interviewee asked him some fantastic questions. I have to, to say the interviewee did a great job. And Gary, of course, uh, did a little bit of a fish move where he ditched most of the question, but he kind of ended in uh, that the, the, the interviewee, uh, interviewer said, uh, asked him if there is going to be an Ethereum ETF next. And he was very, very hesitant uh, and basically ditched the question he didn't say yes or no um but he said um uh, that um yeah uh, i think a, a little bit more of the same that this is not an endorsement for crypto and and so on so what what are, is my interpretation of all of this um it's definitely going to be a very strong narrative um you can already see this on crypto twitter everybody seems to be talking about it you can see it in the price people actually believe it and the narrative itself is kind of half of the the, the thing then the second thing is, I think without public pressure and without a lawsuit, there is no uh, uh, Ethereum ETF. There needs to be senators uh, or, or organizations, institutions like BlackRock uh, that are going to get behind that and that are going to be pushy. And there is probably a need for maybe one or two lawsuits uh, to force their hand. Because uh, let's be honest with each other. We, we know the SEC. We kind of have our experience with them. They're not going to... Uh, do us any favors they're not just going and like oh yeah we're going to improve this as well and we're going to do this as well uh, because we're uh, such a nice agency and we really uh, are in favor of crypto no we we kind of uh, it, it, they need to be forced uh, into this a, a, a bit um so uh, i don't know if i would put the chances so many people say it's going to happen in may i think this is probably very optimistic uh, I think it's going to take some time. And if, look, we have one data set and I'm just going to say this data set is true for Ethereum as it was true for Bitcoin. It took us about eight months from BlackRock filing for this and actually, you know, with this being in the public eye until an approval. So if we are talking about an approval, which, you know, you can still kind of make arguments for both sides, uh, then I guess it's probably going to be in August or so. Interesting. I think I... To me, it's going to come down if Grayscale is going to go and file for a conversion of the trust, which I think they will. And if they do this in time, I think, I'm not sure if the SEC is going to attempt to kind of go down the same route. If that happens, then you may be right um, that they're going to object this. At the moment, I'm still optimistic that we're going to see a May ETF, but I agree the odds of it happening are less than a Bitcoin ETF in January. Not sure if, let's say I would give it a 51%. So I think slightly more than a coin flip. Really, and I would instantly change my odds if 
Grayscale is aggressively pushing for a conversion. At the moment, I know that they, are, that they tried in October or November or something, but it hasn't been very aggressive. So there hasn't been much publicity around it. There hasn't been much push to, uh, towards it. If I see that, then I would instantly up the odds to probably 70, 80%, because I don't think the SEC is going to want to have another one just saying no at first and then getting slapped left and right. But I think you summarized this really well. Um, yeah. Interesting. Do you see any other crypto getting an ETF? No chance right now, um, simply because there is no future for that. So there, there's no futures on CME. I, I think that's going to be the first hurdle. I mean, Gabriel here writes on YouTube. I think that's actually a very interesting point. If Larry Fink from BlackRock wants an Ethereum ETF, you will get it. Smiley face. Uh, I mean, this is a strong point, right? Uh, I think... Uh, and, and I mean, Grayscale is applying for the ETF as well. I think, uh, do, do you know the number? I think seven ETFs in the history of Grayscale have been uh, not approved or something. So it's like a super, super tiny amount. It's like, yeah, so it would be absolutely so insane. So BlackRock, you mean? Yeah. Uh, I think they applied for more than 550 ETFs and only like one or two handfuls mm -hmm. uh, got, got declined. So they have like a 99% approval rate. Yeah. yeah. So definitely an interesting uh, one. Yeah. Do you see another uh, crypto getting an ETF anytime soon? No, definitely not. Um, like, I think, I really think, like I mentioned this several times, I really see crypto maybe in four categories. There's Bitcoin, there's Ethereum, there's stablecoins, and there's everything else. Mm -hmm. And also within the stablecoins, there, you know, there are stablecoins and stablecoins. But um, it's, I think, uh, a sign of majority that, uh, and it's, so one of the most important things that happened yet last week with the, with the, the approval of the Bitcoin ETF is basically a public stamp of approval um, of this whole industry. A lot of things, the narrative will completely shift. It's not some weird outsider things that kids are doing in their, in their mom's basements and that miners in Kostan are supporting or, or, or things like that. No, now you have publicly traded companies mining this. You have on every brokerage in the world, you have a ticker trading it. Um, and it, it, it's it's going to be so one example I, or one comparison I want to make is uh, I, I, before Bitcoin, I used to be a gold bug. And be, uh, I, before the 2003 um, gold ETF, many people don't know that, but gold was not uh, accepted in the public sphere. It was not a part, an essential part of a portfolio or anything. It was looked down on was like an, a debt asset, non-cash flow generating for, you know, um, gloom, boom, uh, gloom and doomers, like people that uh, wish uh, an, an apocalypse would happen, um, people that are very distrustful of the government and a bit outside of the system. Gold didn't have a good standing in the traditional finance industry. And since 2003 and maybe a few years after, it really has basically a sit at the table. So if you look uh, at fast money on CNBC, or if you look uh, bigger money shows or investment talks like bull versus bear, uh, every day they talk about gold. And I kind of anticipate that the same thing is going to be true for Bitcoin and maybe Ethereum a few years down the road, that this move that we get this ETF that is kind of solidifying um, their position or within, you know, the finance space and, and, and really um, yeah, uh, it's going to be covered, you know, uh, with every finance show, you have these, these um, ticker movers, and all, some of them already incorporate Bitcoin, but I guess this 
will happen a, a lot more now. Um, yeah, so I, I guess it's very historic and probably a few years from now, we, we just realize how important all of this was because right now it doesn't really feel so important because the price is not moving. 100%, 100%. Uh, do you want to share a bit about what's happening on the DeFi chain side? I think, yeah, always interesting. We've just had a an update about an hour ago uh, internally where we discussed a couple of things and what's going on. Do you want to share a few things? Yeah, so um, we, we're in January, uh, you know, 17 days in and uh, important now. So the Fetchain Labs team which, um, uh, consists of two parts, one part engineering and one part marketing. And um, I'm solely going to focus on, on the marketing part because there's uh, I have a little bit more insights there. And um, uh, it's basically preparation for the years. So, um, you know, have a content strategy, what what do we need to talk about? What can we talk about? And as you know, an open source um, community project, we kind of want to put the community in, into the center. So this means uh, highlighting the projects that are building and highlighting the members or uh, devs that are building in it. Um, and of course, uh, educational um, material around that. Uh, there are certain that at the moment we are finishing on on certain exchange listings. So super exciting. I cannot go into the that uh, what which exchange get, uh, but there are um, yeah we are finalizing an exchange listing. Um, then we have um, in Q1 the main campaign is basically part uh, it has three pillars. Um, it's basically one month, one month, one month. And we are in the first month, in the first um, um, inning. And uh, the first part is a social campaign, which, you know, if you go, for example, to the to the DeFi chain Twitter, uh, you will find it um, like yesterday or the day before it was tweeted. And it's basically a campaign where you can you know, follow this, subscribe here, uh, sign up for a newsletter, things like that. And you can earn points. And with these points, you um, you can make, um, you can earn uh, uh, or, or win some DFI. Uh, and the social campaign is part one of that. The second one is going to be focused on the ecosystem itself. So um, with all the projects and things that are happening within the DeFi chain ecosystem. And the third part is going to be on chain. Uh, and all of these are basically uh, missions. It's very gamified that uh, you can participate without spending any money um, and fulfill these missions and, uh, and earn some, some DeFi um, uh, as a reward. Um, that's basically from a marketing side that the bigger things that are going on. We uh, we had for, we kind of reviewed that last week. We had an, uh, an event in Munich on seventh of January, um, and um, the event was perceived uh, overwhelmingly positive. There were a few hiccups with the live stream and so on, but uh, for the attendees, for the people that were there, um, it was uh, was a great event. So we want to do that again, uh, probably I don't know, let's say during summer, um, and uh, maybe a bit bigger and a bit better, uh, especially on the live stream uh, front. Um, that's probably uh, the most important things on the engineering side. I don't want to go out on a limb, but to sum it up without giving away any timelines and any nitty and gritty things, just, you know, very bird's eye perspective. Um, I know that they are working on uh, light wallet improvements. So on the app side, on infrastructure improvement to kind of smooth things out. Um, and uh, that uh, uh, there are a few bigger things down the road that are currently being conceptualized and 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 and, uh, and kind of planned out. And if you follow any of the DeFi chain social, I think end of this week uh, there will be uh, in that roadmap 
published on all socials. Um, so I don't need to give them away and spoil anything. It's all going to be in written form available for everybody. Um, that would be uh, my, 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 my summary. Cool. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. I mean, definitely needed on uh, a lot of things there. So that's good. Um, other topics that we need to discuss. I think we covered Bitcoin, Ethereum. We covered uh, DeFi chain. Are there other things that you see right now? Questions that people have? Um, you know, besides the, um, the ETF stories, I, I think the next bigger thing that we all can look forward to are, um, is the halfening and maybe Fair point. You know, for next week, it, it's very soon, four months. Um, maybe we can three, focus three months, or kind of yeah, three months. Three, yep. mm, oh yeah. April, okay. beginning of April. Um, yeah, of course. Um, the, maybe we can focus the next um, Twitter space a little bit more around macro now that we kind of talked about everything regarding the ETFs. Uh, I, I don't think there will be any major ETF specific news from now until next week. Uh, but there is a lot to talk about um, um, when it comes to macro. So I, I don't know, maybe I can just suggest this live um, that we kind of keep this session slightly shorter than, than we're used to. So not an hour, but maybe 50 minutes. And then next week, we kind of uh, do a macro deep dive on, on what's going on in traditional markets. Sounds good. Sounds good. Great. Then uh, if you don't want to miss out on this, make sure you follow us. Give us a like on X or on YouTube. And then we're going to be talking again with some nice updates. Fabio, appreciate it. Thanks for the time, for all the insight. Thank you, everyone, for being with us, supporting us, listening to us, and uh, see you soon. Thank you all. Bye-bye.